Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the podcast based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. This is the ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 72 of Thrive Deeper, your favourite Bible podcast. I don't know about that for a tagline. I'm going to put it out there until it's six. It's your humble host, DJ Payne here, and I'm so glad that you are able to join us as on this week's episode, Matthew Jacoby and I sit down and we get stuck into the letter of First John. This is the beginning of the trio, the trilogy of letters there, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John we have in a New Testament. So Matthew and I get to sit down and go through that on this week's episode. And as per usual, we start off the conversation in a really weird place. I talk to Matthew about arts and Christianity, and then we also get into science on this week's episode. Man, we go everywhere. So make sure you stick around. We've got an awesome special offer that I want to give you as well. So keep on listening to this episode 72 of your favorite Bible podcast, Thrive Deeper. I've got a busy day today. I finish up here with you. I race home, pack a carry-on bag, right. jump on a plane, yeah. fly up to Sydney, yeah. and I'm there for a day and a night for the Spark conference which is what the <laughs> should i know that no well maybe you should yeah, the spark well i'm glad you asked what the spark conference is i just have their website up right here it is a uh, community of christian creative leaders a gathering mm. an opportunity to participate in a growing conversation that uh, intersects spirituality art and culture right Sounds, sounds good. You're saying that through gritted teeth. I can see you, right? No, no, no. Sounds good. I, I... You've never heard of it before? Uh, no, no, I've not. Okay. No. It comes out of the uh, CMAA, the Christian Media and Arts Association of Australia, yeah. um, helped put this one out. And I went to it for the first time last year mm. uh, with uh, the other you know, members of the uh, Thrive community behind the scenes mm. with Spike, from Sons of Cora right. and with uh, Stuart Duncan, right, yeah. who organised everything. We went up there oh, yeah. together, three of us. And, um, yeah, just networking with other creatives. Look, I've got to be honest, it's a very much a Sydney event, mm. you know, type of thing. And um, What is that supposed to mean? Well, I'm, gonna, I'm on the record here. I've got to be careful what I, what I say. There's a particular type of artist in Sydney, you know, type yeah. of thing. There's a particular t- type of crowd in Sydney um, without, you know, <laughs> I didn't know I was going to, I'll put it this way, and I, and I, and I got into a, bit, a lot of trouble because the <coughs> organisers asked me, hey, what do you think about it, DJ? You'll give us an honest opinion. Mm, and I was yes, like... Yes, you will. <laughs> I was like, be careful what you ask for. And they said, no, tell us. And I said, listen, I didn't know I was going to a political rally. You know, like uh, every every other artist up there had to say something about, uh, you know, something about, uh, you know, some sort of politics, whether it was like, you know, uh, American politics or Australian politics coming out from a real, mm. you know, left of centre mm. thing and hearing a particular crowd of people. They didn't applaud. They all did finger snaps uh, right. when they heard people, you know, bag out somebody they didn't like. And I'm sitting there going, what have I got myself into? <laughs> you know, I'm all about the arts. I'm all about creativity. But um, we'll see. We'll see how we go this year. I think they've yeah. really 
listen to a few critiques of what they're up to. And, and again, I think it's the ninth year it's on. Mm. They've been doing it for a while, but they've got new management on it there. So I, I, I am very, very, I don't know, your heart beats the same, Matt. Um, I believe that the church really needs the creative people mm. to, to feel at home and be able to speak, you know, in a language that they feel comfortable with. And I think mm. sometimes the church doesn't talk that creative language very well. Mm. You know what I mean? Depending yeah. on the church, uh, I think sometimes a creative person can come in there and be a bit of a whirlwind of yeah. of thoughts and ideas and yeah. and other things. And I think there's sometimes we we can be either one side or too much. You know, the mm. other too much. Yeah, there's so. also the perspective that n- not everything has to be expressed within the church. Yes, you know, like there there are some giftings that uh, through which we interact most naturally in our everyday and um you know god uses that and blesses that and the more we are ourselves in everyday life the more we'll connect with the sort of people that we need to connect with and that god wants us to connect with so um the 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 you know the sort of issue of finding a place for creative people because i know that's been talked about uh, for a while and and I, like i think that's valid i'm not yes. saying that's invalid I, i'm Love it. Uh, I, but i think um sometimes we can be too like inward looking like the kingdom of god is about just contributing something within the four walls of the church yes. whereas uh the church is a sending mechanism yeah uh, the getting together of course is absolutely crucial to the christian faith yes being together with other believers but the church is a sending thing yeah yeah, you know, and it's, it's it, in practicality. It's one of those things, and this is my the story of my life. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of yeah. other artists can, you know, hear the same thing. Whether you're a a visual artist, a musician, a writer, an actor, whatever it is that you do, someone in leadership finds out that you're passionate about this thing, and they go, "For me, it was a visual art. I was always yeah. a visual artist growing up." And they were like, "Oh, you're into visual arts? Fantastic! We need some backdrops painted for our Christmas <laughs> production of." And it's like. That's not exactly the using of my gifts that I wanted there. Oh, you know, you can play the guitar. Great. We need you to sing Kumbaya with the kids in Sunday school. And it's like, I'm trying to write a rock opera over here. Like, you know, it's yeah. not, you know. It's I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, like I, I don't think, so So you're right. We shouldn't feel pressured, you know, to um, try and find a, a, a way for people, you know, necessarily to use every gift that they have within the full world. Yes. If they can, that's great. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, one of the things that I think is important that if we have a gift, it's and it is needed in the church. Bring it then, on. Then you know there's this principle of it's like tithing your gift. Yes. You know I'm going to offer my gift, and um, you know like uh, it's I mean it's great to see. Uh, it's great to see that in churches, people, um, w- people's willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to bring my gift to the altar, as it were, mm. and give give something back to God here. Yeah. Uh, so you know, so so whether you, you know, I mean, you, you might be a really successful, high profile muso, and uh, but the, there's a beauty in that gesture of saying, but you know, in my church on a Sunday, I'm yeah. gonna 
bring this gift to the altar. I love and, it. You know, I love it. There we go. Now, I think, I think, uh, you know, and again, everyone's going. Hang on, I've downloaded this episode expecting to talk about First John. All right, First John. Now, here's my here's my transition that I just popped in my oh, head. I like your segues. I oh, you love my segues. Yeah. All right, I'm getting good at these. The book of First John. Yeah. The format of First John. We call it an epistle. It's not really a letter, as far as I can tell. Is it a sermon? Is it a poem? Is it a piece of art itself? Because it is beautiful. Yeah. Well, uh, interestingly, uh, the the three letters we have three letters of John here. Um, <clears throat> I think to to cut a long discussion short. I mean, some people have identified a different John. Yes. To the gospel writer and apostle John. Mm. Um, so they refer to him as the elder John. Yeah. I reckon, uh, I reckon there's just as good a case to be made for the fact that this is a, the Apostle John. Yes, the one, the one that Jesus loved. Yeah, that's right. That he yeah. calls himself and in the gospel. In fact, I was just then just checking um, out of curiosity what the ESV Study Bible. Uh, now, here's a good recommendation actually mm. um, for <clears throat> for someone who wants to get close to the text we've already said the ESV is a good uh, is a good version mm. the ESV study bible is one of the best study bibles available i mean the NIV study bible is another good one but the ESV study bible uh, is fantastic yeah. the introductions to the books um, and it's interesting i mean that they take into consideration you know they're not just kind of stick in the mud conservative for the sake of it yeah. they take into consideration uh, you know all the evidence, and and it's it was interesting to note that they're kind of happy with John, the Apostle John, as being yeah. the evidence for this. It's like there's no there's no there's no reason to not think that that what uh, was the case. I mean, yeah. people give different reasons, so I think we can take that as um, we, we, let's go with that. Let's yeah. go with the Apostle John. Now the suggestion. Now the, so, the, so the Apostle John. So we're just who writes wrong. the Gospel John. He writes the Gospel of John. He writes first, second, third John, yeah, the yeah. letter, the letters, or the you know the yeah, sermons. Refers here. to himself as the elder. Yes. In, in the letters. Yeah. And then in the Book of Revelation. And then Revelation as well, yes. Yeah. So, so he's a busy man in terms of writing biblical books. And and as far as the disciples go, he was one of Jesus's chosen three. That's right. Closest friends, uh, with with you know the apostle Peter and his brother James. Yep, Peter, James, and John. And John, from tradition and from you know other sources, he's probably the youngest disciple. Uh, yeah, he, he well at the time, at the yeah, time of yeah, Christ, probably, yeah. I've I've read certain things. I've read certain people because again, he lives the longest. You know, he, he, the Revelation yeah. is written at a long time while he's in prison yeah, and stuff right, like yeah. that. And I've read some stuff, you know, back in the day, not recently, but saying, you know, suggesting that John, the you know, the reason why Jesus was sort of took him under his wing mm. because he was just a teenager, he was this yeah. young kid, and amongst all of these other, you know, wiry yeah. fishermen and other people, yeah. and Jesus sort of took him under his <laughs> yeah. under his wing, and he felt so. Uh, unworthy. That's why he didn't ever refer to himself as his name. Just called himself the one that Jesus loves. That's right. You know, type yeah. of thing. I, and I love that yeah, picture. I think it's a beautiful picture. Yeah. yeah. So the suggestion has been made. So this is, you know, we're talking um, both the letters of John and Revelation. In fact, are written in the nineties, probably around ninety six. So this mm. is this is like so. Absolutely, it would have been a young man then. Um, uh, young man back when, in the disciple when, and then when he was a disciple of yeah. Christ so the suggestion has been made that there were three letters sent in one package 
Okay. And and that because there's and this kind of works in a way. I mean, there's no definitive evidence yeah. for this, but it's an attractive theory because they each do different things. So that mm. Third John is is a personal letter to Gaius, commending the carrier of the letter, uh, whose name has just escaped me for the moment. Yeah. And um, and so that's like the kind of cover letter, mm. and then the Second John is perhaps something to be read to the a letter to be read to the church because yes. that's but first john isn't really yeah. uh in the form of a letter no so the suggestion is that this is a sermon so what was sent was a sermon yeah <laughs> to be used in the church I love in it. churches yes um a, a letter that was to be read and a personal letter to the leader of the church. Yeah. Now, that uh, personal letter that we'll get to later on, that's a funny little letter. Yeah. There's some real yeah. quirks in that little letter there to the personal <laughs> yeah. thing. So, tr- again, we, we from what we can see in, in the introduction and some of the you know clues in the letter, this is a group of home churches. Yeah. Uh, you know, meeting together probably in the region of Ephesus. Yep, that's right. Yeah, uh, and so where is that? Where is modern day Ephesus? So that's Turkey. It, we're, okay. we're talking about the. Um, uh, I've got to get my the the west coast of mm-hmm. Turkey. Okay. Yep. All right. Modern so day Turkey, which in in that day was known as Asia Minor, so that was a Roman province uh, in that day. Yes. Uh, it's like everywhere was a Roman <laughs> province in that day. Yep. Uh, but, you know, th- there were significant Roman settlements uh, throughout that region. And, and a lot of the, um, uh, the key early churches were, were in that region. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting today because we don't think of that part of the world as being a sort of Christian part of the world. It's yeah. part of Turkey. It's, um, uh, it's, it's now... Muslim, but of course, for a long time, that was Byzantium. Mm. Uh, that whole area was uh, connected with with Byzantium, which which was the sort of last remnants of the Roman Empire, mm. which uh, from the time of Constantine was was well, uh, officially from the time of Justinian in the three eighties was Christianized, and um, and so it was sort of the uh, Byzantium was the last kind of remnant of Christian Rome. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's put. Let me put it this way: Roman Christendom. Yes. Yep. Because I would want to make a distinction between Christendom and Christianity. Yeah. Christendom is your more nominal kind of traditional cultural. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like what we when we talk about Christian nations. I mean, yeah. a nation can't become a Christian. It's yes. an abstraction. It's like yeah. any individuals can become Christians. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the, it's that that would be Christendom, and and. And so, yeah. So that area actually is um, uh, becomes the the sort of last vestiges of the Roman uh, Roman Empire. So, and then of course um, in the um, late Middle Ages, fifteen uh, when um, Mehmet the Conqueror. Yes. You, when did when did he come in and conquer? So in Around about something, then. Yeah, fifteen yeah, something. Uh, he um, uh, conquered uh, that whole area including um constantinople which which then became converted all to the yeah to which Muslim. then came under islam so that, that yeah and, but already the eastern empire was, was pushing into that area and, yes. and i mean islam uh really wiped out a lot of those uh those those churches um as the, so the more you, you moved we move east but we it should be said that there is still ancient mm. christian churches mm. that survive to this day i mean they've experienced enormous persecution under uh recently under isis you know again but these persian 
churches, you know, the Assyrian Orthodox Church. I mean, you get these amazing yeah. ancient churches yeah. that are still in these areas, and, and that, that's uh, the case, uh, I believe, in, in Turkey as well. So we've got, we come back to the Apostle John. He's, he's, writing, he's writing these letters, as you say. I love the theory that it's a, it's a package set here mm. of a sermon and a couple of uh, you know, cover letters there. And uh, we're going to be looking at 1 John, this first one that we have. Um, some people will call it 1 John, John 1, you know, mm. for the first you know, epistle of John, these type of things. Um, right there towards the back of the Bible, little five chapters here. But my goodness, this is, it's, I, I would say in the New Testament, this might be my most beautiful. Yeah. You know, I don't know if there's oh, another a, way to describe this is other than just, just absolute. Glo- it's a beautiful book. Yeah, it's yeah. just full of poetry yeah. and heights that you don't yeah. get in a lot of other books. Yeah, I, I love it because uh, the themes in it are, um, are so picturesque. He uses mm. beautifully picturesque themes. I mm. love the way that he talks about God. I mean, this is the book where famously, you know, John says, God is love. And, mm. and he it's, talks a lot about love and living in love. So it has this, uh, the book has this big perspective uh, you know, talks about walking in the light and not yep. in the darkness and yep. living in love and sort of big picture things. Whereas, you know, the writings of Paul are quite complex. Yep. We've looked at Hebrews. Again, it's quite complex. Yep. There's a there's a sort of uh, picturesque uh, nature to this book and, yep. and, a, and, and a simplicity, but a really profound simplicity. That's a great way yeah. to put it. And there's a beautiful rhythm. You'll yeah. notice that the same ideas and the same flow of things where he gets yep. repeated in First John. I think I think a really, and we say this every time, but we're going to keep on saying it, reminding yeah. everybody a really great resource yeah. that's out there for this. And I think sometimes they do a better job than yeah. others. Yeah. I'm talking, of course, about the Bible Project, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Bible pr- Project with their video overviews. Yeah. They do a they do a nine minute video on first and second third John, um, you know, as an overview. Now sometimes when they get it right, they get it really right. Yeah. And I believe that their their one on this is phenomenal. Their one okay. on first yeah. John second. Cool. What do they say about that book? They, they just again exactly what we're saying here. They're yeah. saying the same things, uh, repeating. You know, they talk a lot about the patterns. But the beautiful thing because you're watching a video with the Bible Project, and if you've yeah. never watched it, it's like an illustrated outline. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, it's a beautiful visual representation of how the book overflows and how they loop around, you know, to yeah. each other yeah. and the conclusions, everything yeah. there. So I highly recommend that. We'll have the link to that in the show notes. But Matt, let's get underway when yeah. you get into First John. What's uh, yeah? Well, what? one of, the, the first thing is that, and, and this is one of the reasons for linking this with the Gospel, John. Uh, I mean, it, it certainly um, we have every reason to believe this is the same writer because. Um, Gospel of John begins with the words, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Yeah. This the, this sermon begins with that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, <laughs> that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. And this is important because the big thing in the Gospel of John, which is also written late around around a similar, similar time period, um, is this idea of... Jesus becoming flesh. Now, this is an important idea for John because there was a lot of resistance to this. And this is one of the key ideas that's behind the writing of these letters. Yes. Because there was a stream of thought, um, uh, a very popular stream of thought in that day that demeaned physicality, physical 
nature. Yes. It was um, uh, a kind of brand of Neoplatonism. So from Plato, the philosopher, who felt that um, the ultimate reality was like a realm of ideas. Only ideas are perfect. So, yes. you know, to use the example, you know, we have the idea of a perfect circle, right, defined by whatever the definition of, yeah. of, of, a, of a circle is. Uh, you know, as a geometric form, but as soon as you draw a circle physically, it will never be perfect. Yeah. Okay. So that's just an example. So as soon as, as soon as something takes on physicality, it automatically becomes imperfect. And that's the Plato idea. That, that's that's a Platonic idea. So the idea, um, the, the ultimate sort of um, existence for Plato is a disembodied existence. Mm. Uh, and, and so he believed in the immortality of the soul um, and the ultimate ultimate uh, goal is to be free from the restraining Im, restraining influence and the imperfection of physicality of the body. Mm. Okay? Now, mm. it's interesting that this has had quite a influence on, on even really, I mean, it's had enormous influence on Western thought and, and has been incorporated into some sort of versions of Christian eschatology uh, not not <clears throat> actually not in a, in a, any official way because no one would say that this is a biblical view but mm. in the popular thinking yes. this idea has seeped in that 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 the ultimate state of existence is a disembodied existence where we float around yeah. in the heavens right it's the it's the classic uh you know I call it the Star Wars you know Jedi model you know yeah. type of thing we become a force ghost and that's and that's where you really get the true yeah. powers and yeah. become this yeah. other thing now of course i mean last episode we talked about the intermediate state which is when we die, our soul goes to be with Christ in heaven. But that the point is that's not the ultimate goal. No. The ultimate goal is the resurrection of the body and mm. the, a new heavens and a new earth, right? So yeah. physicality is still part of the picture. Now, um, how, the, how, a quick question. I, I know, how is that, you, you, you call it a version of like this platonic thought from Plato about, yeah. you know, disembodied. I hear some people talking about John referencing, you know, and talking about this, about arguing against Gnosticism yeah. or the Gnostic That's thought. Right. Yeah. Are they too linked? Yeah, yeah. So not Gnosticism, mm. which really, I mean, this is a sort of, if, if this is Gnosticism, it's, well, it's not really because Gnosticism formally is a, um, is a school of thought that really only emerges. I mean, w we only have evidence of it in the mid second century. Oh wow! Okay, so, so 140, 150, so is, this, is this like the seeds uh, of Gnosticism? Yeah, this, this is this is kind of a sort of proto Gnosticism. Um, yeah, it's it's perhaps the early. It's an early form okay. uh, of Gnosticism. I, lo but not I love how you blown. get pedantic about the philosophical thoughts of when <laughs> yeah. it come in. For us yeah. plebs, we're just like, okay. whatever. But uh, no, but this is good. This yeah. is good. We get an education yeah. here. And, but, but the key thing here, uh, and, and uh, this is what John seems to be concerned about, is that this idea that the, the logos, see, I mean, this is the other thing, the one stream of... Neoplatonists, the Stoics, who, who well, they, they were, they were. Oh, here I'm getting pedantic again. They were no, sort no, of, they, they, they were a blend of Platonism and Aristotelian um, philosophy. But they, uh, they they actually had this concept of the logos. John in John one one speaks in the beginning was the word. Now the word there is logos. Now they, they had this this version of pantheism, where they saw that God was infused in all nature. There was this like rational principle. You observe nature and everything works in this clockwork rational so that they, they believe that it was mind. 
that mind was in mm. uh, all things. It's interesting. Um, recently, there, on the back of quantum physics, there are people saying the same thing. Well, uh, now, I was about, I was about uh, to say, and I like to you, you you know you bring the book smarts, I bring the Twitter smarts here. Yeah, I bring the social yeah. media smarts. I have to tell you that amongst and I and I keep bringing up different movements that are happening in in popular thought. And when I say popular thought, I'm talking like a lot of different podcasts and people yeah. who aren't naming the name of Christ, but the concept of Logos and Stoicism yeah. is having a massive yeah. uprising. Yeah. And, because and I think people are coming out of, if you think culturally, I think people are coming out of a lot of stuff that they've been <clears throat> told would satisfy them yeah. in life. And there seems to be a movement now. And again, it's on the back of a lot of conspiracy theories and things like that where people are questioning things. But this idea of Logos is huge. I mean, yeah. people are talking about it with no Christian background at all. Yeah. And I'm like, what is yeah. going on here? Yeah. And I think it's had a resurgence because of quantum physics, because mm. of this idea that quantum particles respond. You know, it's the, the, the famous double slit experiment where depending on whether it's observed, it's a wave or a particle. Yeah. And it's it's a wave, but when it's... A, when it, and it can it's as a wave it can be in two places at once but as soon as it's observed it collapses into a particle wow. so it actually responds to conscious observation there's some strange thing there it's there's there's a, a book i read about this called the quantum enigma and and um and and so scientists don't really know what to do with this but they just leave that part you know yeah. that's metaphysics so we yeah. don't know what's going on there but this is where it's led to this again a resurgence of this idea <clears throat> that at the quantum level um we we encounter something that seems to act like consciousness now um there's a, a book by a jewish physicist um uh who uh is at the uh, jerusalem university i think um, called Gerald Schroeder, and he's written a book called The Hidden Mind of God. Mm. And he explores this. So he, um, it's a really interesting read, uh, and, and I, uh, where he, he believes that it, we have, that we, in a sense, we find, we encounter God in quantum physics. Now, I mean, um, I think his view has a tinge of pantheism to it. Pantheism is this sort of identification of nature with God, mm -hmm. um, but not perhaps, you know, not really. I mean, he's still he's 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 a Jewish, you know, he's a um, uh, I believe he's an Orthodox okay. Jew. Um, yeah. So, um, so it's really but interesting again, not, to but note but not, the resurgence of this idea. Yes. That this is the point now. Um, now in in the. It's also interesting to note that John works with that idea. He yeah. doesn't reject the idea of mm, the Logos mm. that was there in Stoicism. He actually utilizes this, but in, 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 his, in the first chapter of his gospel, he says, um, in the beginning was the Logos. Okay, so he's making a connection. Mm. Uh, and, and, and the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. So you've got the Stoics saying, no. Yeah, you, you, Oh, well, they, no, they no the agreeing. Stoics are still okay. Where they're going to have problem, yes. problems is down, I think it's in verse 14 uh, of John chapter 1, where uh, he says, and the Logos became flesh. Yeah, no, they're, right? like they're all walking out of the building right there. <laughs> like you've lost them uh, at that point. And because he, to them it's because, no, no, the Logos yes. is, is perfection itself. Yeah. It's the very definition of perfection. And... Perfection is impossible in human flesh. So yeah. that's a contradiction to them. And I love, and this is getting into, and we'll take a break in a second because I think we've given a great introduction to where John's coming from. But I love this idea that the Apostle John writing this book, 
you can ask, you can read this book, and especially at the end, we'll get to it at the end, yeah. where you ask the question and go, hang on, is he talking about Jesus or are we talking about God? And mm. I think John will say, yes. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'm talking about that there is, in his mind, from yeah, what he's seen and right. what he's experienced, yeah. there is no difference. Yeah. It is the same. This comes out most clearly. The deity of Christ comes out most clearly in John's yeah. in John's writings. Oh. And and so, hence that statement in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Um, so uh, so given that, that now so there was this view. So Christian, so this sort of Platonic I- idea, yeah, uh, m- makes its way into the Christian Church, and and they're struggling. They're struggling with this idea of the Son of God. The very expression of God, the Logos, coming in, becoming flesh. So the way that they accounted for that is that they they uh, uh, adopted what became known as a Docetus Docetism, and this is the spell that for us D O C E T I S M Docetism <laughs> from the Greek word Dokeo, uh, 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 which means to to see to seem or or appear as okay. because the view is that well he just appeared to be in in in, in the flesh but not, wasn't really yeah. in some sense um, but there, there was a, a early form of this view that says um, that the Holy Spirit came on the man Jesus at his baptism yes with water now. John's going to talk about water and blood in, later in the letter. We'll, yep. we'll talk about that. Um, but uh, withdrew, the, the Spirit then withdrew from the man Jesus just before his suffering because it was unthinkable to them that perfect, ca- perfection cannot suffer. Yes. You know, again, so... so th- let, let, alone this, be, let alone be the shame of the yeah, cross. That's right. You know, so the, so the, the problem with this is that it strikes right at the heart yeah. of... The doctrine of the atonement mm-hmm. of, of the of actually the center point of what Jesus Christ did mm-hmm. that it, that that because remember when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son we're not talking about child sacrifice it's very important that we talk about this in a way that excludes it sounding like child sacrifice mm. God did not sacrifice His Son Bible never says that mm. it talks about God was in Jesus Christ reconciling him reconciling the world to himself mm. um, so it's important that we understand that it is God in Jesus Christ paying for our sins mm. that's central here and this is where John says this is a deal breaker we need to we need to understand that Jesus Christ the exalted Son of God came in the flesh he became flesh because that is what enables him to pay for our guilt.
CJ here with you again, family, and I wanted to let you know about our prison subscription offer. A lot of you have been getting in touch with us and letting us know that you didn't know that Thrive, the booklet, was available in many prisons and juvenile centres around Australia and New Zealand. We do this in partnering with chaplains who head into the prisons. You can help us get the Thrive booklets in there. They do cost money. And so that's why we're saying that for only $16 per year, you can join with us in sending thousands of copies of Thrive into our prisons. If you can add a Thrive prison subscription to your purchase, we'll make sure that no less than four copies of each issue of Thrive go into our prisons as a result of your sponsorship over the next year. It's a fantastic offer. Please consider this. Have a pray about it right now. Think about it and then head over to the Thrive Today website and hit that prison subscription button. The website to go to is thrivetoday.net.au. Have a look for the button that says prison subscriptions and you would be doing a lot of good by helping us with that. It's only $16 per offer and you could do that as many times as you like. All right, I'll leave that with you. Now back to our discussion on 1 John on this episode 72 of Thrive Deeper. Thrive Deeper, it's DJ here with you and I'm with, uh, as always, Matthew Jacoby. We're talking about 1 John, the first letter of John, the Apostle John. We're going to be uh, looking this, looking uh, at these three letters uh, over the next couple of episodes. So well, we've, well, we've said, haven't we, that we're, we're maybe talking about a cover letter. Yeah. <laughs> A general epistle and yes. then a sermon for a, circulation. A sermon yeah. to preach. I love it. We uh, th- th- and that's what we've got here. So we're looking first at the sermon that John has written. The apostle John has written here, and uh, we've given a bit of an introduction here. We've we've spent all the first half of it just giving the introduction. Well, well it's the background. It really yeah. is the background for the letter. This is what he's concerned about. And and if you keep that in your mind, you'll then pick up some language in here. Yeah. For example, I mean, there's a few different examples here. The the theme that, you know, that God is Jesus, Jesus is God. There is no separation of that factor in John's mind. Yeah. But also that Jesus was flesh and that yeah. you'll hear these words, we touched him, yeah. we held yeah, him, right. we handled yeah, him. That's right. You'll get these words about physicality yeah. Yeah, in John right. that sound a little bit out of place, but then you realize yeah. the background, you go, oh, okay. Yeah. There's also another beautiful picture here that I love that John is John is doing as 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 a, as the apostle as he calls himself the elder he's the one who spent time with Jesus he's the one who yeah. saw Jesus he's the yeah. one who did this and he's handing this over he's like passing the baton on mm. this belief to the next group of believers yeah. he's saying listen to my testimony because you're coming up after us and these are the things that are important I yeah. love I love that aspect yeah. Yeah, the, that physicality element is important. You know, I, I think it's um, 
course, John, who records the doubting of Thomas, yes, and put my fingers in and gets gets his fingers yeah. and puts it in his wound. I mean, there's nothing more physical <laughs> than that. I love actually Caravaggio's portrayal. Yes. The artist Caravaggio portrayed Thomas yes. putting his fingers oh. actually in the wound. Yeah. Uh, you know, classic uh, Caravaggio who brought the f- the sort of fleshly and earthly. Yeah. Uh, kind of feel to the depiction of Jesus, really for for the first time, yeah. and uh, and and he he has a so you, you look look that up uh, online Caravaggio's um, Thomas. All right, Gavin so as Thomas. as we get into chapter one, he brings our first big. I mean, there's so many things we can talk about here in chapter, even just in chapter one. It's only it's only <laughs> ten verses long, but in chapter one, he brings the principle of living in the light and that God is light. Mm. This is an important concept in, uh, in philosophy at the time. Uh, I think I, in the last episode, I talked about Plato's parable of the cave. Yes. The idea that that there are these guys trapped that, that this is the way that he depicts the human condition that he sees humankind like um, people chained in a cave mm. and watching shadows, you know, th- th- there's light out there, but they're watching shadows mm. in the cave, and they take that to be reality. And um, and you know, Plato depicts this sort of as- the ascent of the soul, uh, in which we are unchained from the mere appearances of things, and we actually go into the light, uh, out into the light where yeah. we see things for truly what they are. Well, wow. so so, th- and this is. You know this. I mean, this is for four hundred years before the well, five hundred years now before John writes this. But but these ideas are part of culture, very much part of the culture. So it's interesting to note how John is using familiar language, mm. but he doesn't hold back, as we've just said before the break. He doesn't hold back from bringing those effect. Elements that would have been entirely offensive to those ways of thought. So it's like he he works with the way that people are thinking, but in a way that sort of subverts those very ways of thinking. So you know bridges, but then there's this subversive uh, mm. aspect uh, to that as well. Um, and yeah, so so he uses this idea of darkness and light, and we walk out in the light. You know, uh, we're not you know, chained in the cave, we're walking uh, out in the light. And um, and he. it's interesting because he's going to say, he's going to talk, John is going to talk like a lot of the, um, the writers of these New Testament letters or sermons. And this is something that I have actually recognized, this little trip through mm. the New Testament. I've noticed how sort of, Unyielding and 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 how hard they are on, on, uh, on us in terms of not living a life of sin. You know, mm. it's like John is going to say, if if you uh, if you're a Christian, you don't walk, in, you just don't sin. It's like, and and he he wants to emphasize the fact that we don't we live a completely new life. We don't live that old life. Mm. Now, there's plenty of grace there, but it's not grace to go on back and live a life of sin. Now, this is introduced with this uh, idea in um, chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be with, without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And 
purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim, and he says it again, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word um, is not in us. Now, um, uh, he's going to say later on, and I'm just uh, looking for this uh, in 3 verse 6, he says, no one who lives in him, in Christ, keeps on sinning. Mm. Uh, No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Mm. So um, so it's important that we take these two ideas together. together yeah. yeah. That yeah. that this that he's he's acknowledging he's not saying in fact I, I think he's even ruling out the fact and this is a one that's been a controversial sort of theological point. Yes. I think he's ruling out the fact that we can ever really be perfect. Here on earth. Here on earth. Yeah. Um, so, so I think, in one sense, in one sense, he is agreeing with that sort of Greek that that kind of Platonic idea that in this state perfection is never really achievable. But it's not because of physicality; it's because of uh, our our broken nature. Now, uh, God regenerates our hearts by His Holy Spirit, and we we have new hearts, but we still there is still this, uh, but that doesn't make us perfect. Mm, mm. And and I think this verse um, underscores this that there is still this danger. And again, the constant exhortations throughout the you know New Testament, mm. you know, at the height when the fire of faith was burning yeah. really really brightly. Let's yeah. recognize that. Uh, where people are giving their lives for their faith, mm. yet they still have to urge these people, uh, you know, um, away from sin and temptation. And there's always this sense that temptation is ever present, and that people are falling. And 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 so there's lots of grace for that. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of grace for that. The the the, the overall um, sort of posture, or or the uh, the, the sort of invitation of the new testament is an invitation to repentance which would not be the case if we were perfect so and that's not just for non-christians but for christians to come and you know meet god in this place of repentance um so so i think uh all of those ideas together with this view with with this verse if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us Mm. i think underscores the fact that we need to be aiming for perfection, be yeah. perfect as I'm perfect. The you bar, know, the bar is set says, very high. That's right, um, and yet, realistically, uh, it's not until we, uh, you know, it's not until, resu- you know, we we receive a completely new nature and new bodies and um, exactly in in a new, in the resurrection that 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 perfection is going to be yeah. And, really I like, and and this realized. is the, this is the beauty of the Christian faith, uh, and, you know. And we live. We talked about it a few episodes ago, but we're still living in the in the ramification. It'll continue. Yeah. It'll continue more and more, I believe, as <laughs> as as we cont- as the days go on in this current culture, this current climate, where main leaders of the faith or celebrities or famous Christians fall away from the faith. Yeah. And John talks about that pretty clearly yeah. in some yeah. of these passages. And one thing that they like to cite is, oh, the contradictions in the Bible. The contradictions in the Bible. Oh, one verse will say one thing. And I've had people pull up one John and say, look, it says here 
that you're to live sinlessly and perfect. And if you sin, you can't. But then over here, he's saying you confess. And I'm like, yeah, but they exist in the, in the mind of and John. this is important. It exists together. Those are important because lest we say, oh, look, we just can't be perfect and, and, and wallow yeah. in, in sin. This is not an excuse to wallow in sin because actually we are not to live in sin. It's, it's taken as a given that we will not be perfect, that we will still sin but we don't live in sin you know and 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 that that i think there is an important difference and it's important that we hold these things together this john what he wants to do here is draw us continually back to this place of repentance yeah you know to live a life of repentance and uh to to do that we need to recognize our imperfections. Yeah. And I, and I love the practicality again of it. I mean, he's such beautiful language. God is light. We're to walk in the light. And then you might go, well, what does that mean, John? What does it mean to walk in the light? And he says, oh, I'll tell you what it means to walk in the light. You're going to confess your sin. Yeah, that's you, right. You're going to go to Christ and he's your advocate. Good and point. You, and, you're yeah. going to, and you're going to walk You're going to walk in with his skull. That's what it means to walk in the light. He's not talking, like he's using this beautiful flowery language in one yeah. sense. But it's not lost. It's not just yeah. for the sake of the flowery language. Yeah. He's being incredibly practical with it yeah, as well. And I, I think that's a really great point because, it, and it also counters the idea that the ascent into the light. Because remember, coming from that Platonic idea of coming out of the cave, and yeah. you know, for Plato, this is a um, an intellectual process. You know, I, I I become a seeker of truth, and I use my reason, and I ascend. You know, I ascend out of the cave of ignorance. Mm. Well, the, the the moving into the light here is not about an intellectual ascent. It's a process of it's confessing. It's a it come. It's through repentance. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I think again, this is where you have similarities in order that the differences might stand out, yeah. and. Um, and this is the key difference here is that and you know what makes the difference is that Jesus has done what he's done mm. he has made grace which is undeserved favor he's made forgiveness possible so that the key now is that we meet with Jesus in the place of repentance that's where we encounter god mm. it's not through some you know mystical uh, ascent of the mind through a process of reflection mm. it's actually through this process of repentance confession mm. that's the place where we're going to encounter god so that that difference in the midst of all the similarities is yeah. the key yeah. point yeah, I love it. So moving into chapter two, he, he continues the thought. He talks about, again, very practically saying, listen, you know, you want to know if you're living in the light? Are you obeying God's commands? Yeah, you know, that's right. Yeah. It's simple. If, you, if you're saying, hey, I know God and I love God and everything's great, and we're rosy, yeah. but you're not obeying the commandments of Jesus. <laughs> that's then- right. In fact, he says the first verse in chapter two, he says, my children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah. but then he says, "But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous Perfect. one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, uh, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world." Oh. So you know, he brings it back. The atonement is this sort of offense; uh, it's foolishness to the Greeks, as yes. Paul says. Um, he's he's happy to utilize some concepts. Yep. Uh, uh, and and bridge into s- some familiar concepts to in the Gre- Greco-Roman world, but he's he's going to he smash is, him on the head. He's absolutely centered yeah. on the fact that Christ came in the flesh and suffered and died on a cross for our sins, yeah. and 
and the point is is that that's where we meet God right there it's mm. like you can't just sweep this aside because remember these people are wanting to sweep that aside it's just like too that just doesn't make sense that the perfect God would come and suffer and die on a cross well uh, without that there is no ascending out into the light in the platonic sense yeah. uh, that there is no um, encountering truth that there is no access to God without that so he is absolutely centered on um, Christ yeah here yeah and I love that I love the fact that John you know again this is the part of the beautiful you know as he moves into the letters we know his gospel the words that he's speaking are echoing Christ's words and the ones that we hear again again the whole point in chapter two where he says I'm giving you a new commandment well, actually, it's not really a new commandment. You've had it from the beginning, yeah, actually. Right, yeah. And he goes on and, and you know talks about that, talks about the light, gives a beautiful poem, and then and then he gets into some of the meat of it. By the end of chapter two, he's talking then about uh, you know the issue about loving the world, yeah. You know, and we've mentioned this before, but he let, has. Let, let me let me just go back. Oh, I'm okay. just going to go back one step. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what having having talked about because th- this is part of a bigger mm-hmm. um, a bigger picture here having talked about um uh christ and, and the centrality of christ and c- coming um uh coming to christ there is this sense that this has got to make a difference mm. like we have access to the light yes through jesus christ yes and then we need to live in that space and not back in darkness right so so this is this is the the, the picture that he's using mm-hmm. here that that Jesus doesn't give us the excuse to keep living in darkness. Mm, mm. He is the doorway to living in the light, right? Mm, mm. And and the, the we step through that doorway initially. It's like step into the light through confession, as we've said. But then we live in the light. So that has implications, right? So he says in 2 verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Oof. Yeah. It's so so it's like you need to we need to recognize are we which space are we living in it's almost like it's almost like um the book of james that we read you know from jesus half brother where you know we, we hear this contrast between faith and law and 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 uh you know faith and grace you know yeah. people want to make a big contrast of that because uh, james james is well john is sort of almost cutting between the two sort of thoughts and going you know, I don't want to get into it. He's, he's basically saying, I'm not here to theologically argue yeah. with you. We have the reasons, but you really want to test where your heart's at. Yeah. Let's see where the yeah, rubber, right. you know, yeah. he really and, goes for it. And this this comes out in this strange section yeah. uh, that looks like some kind of poem. Yeah. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Yeah. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you've... You know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil. And then he yeah. repeats it again. Yes. He thinks, yeah. what is going on here? And there's a bit of discussion around this. It's um, uh, as to what this is about. But there's actually some key ideas that underscore what I just said. Mm. I mean, he, I think the, the, the sort of majority um, uh, approach in, in the most, well, the prominent co- commentaries that I read mm. is that when he talks about them as children, because he addresses them as children, yeah. that he's talking to everyone. So I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Okay. Mm. So and that that feeds into this theme. So so what? Right. This needs to make a absolute difference. Right. Yeah. Um, and then he singles out the groups of people. Uh, I'm writing to you, fathers, talking about he's dealing generationally. Yes. Here. Yes. I'm um, writing to you, fathers, because you have known him who was from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Mm. Now, these are representative 
you know, and again, we're, we're a patriarchal society, so in their sort of world and way of thinking that these people res- represented the different members of the con- congregation. Yeah. So, uh, so you know him and you've overcome the evil one. Let's not go backwards. Yeah. That this, this is the point uh, here. So this then gets to what you were about to point out, which yeah. is not loving the world. Mm, mm. Now, remember, the idea here is we're working with the darkness idea. So the world is in darkness. Uh, in fact, I think he even says um, later on that the, the world is... Um, uh, is under the power of Satan. Now, where does he say that uh, somewhere? And that it's going away, uh, that it's, you know. Yeah. Um, that, that, that I've got it in uh, 5 verse 19. He says, uh, we know that we are children of God mm. and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Mm. He's very polar. He's, this is very polarizing. That's a mm. good word to use because... Um, uh, you know, polarization is like this darkness light idea, and yeah. he wants to separate the two. So we know that we are children, uh, he says, but the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, that is the world that he tells us not to love. Hmm. The world, in as much as it's under the control of the evil one. So this isn't because this, you could say, well, there's another contradiction because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world <laughs> that he gave his only son. Yeah. Well, he's talking about people in as much as they are God's lost children. That's mm. what John 3.16 is talking about. Here, he's talking about the world system. Yes. The world system in as much as it is under the power of the evil one. Yeah. Don't love that. Like, don't get too connected to that. Be separate from, be in that, uh, but separate from it in a very important sense. Yeah. And, and, and then again, fleshing out what the world looks like and what he means by what this world is. We get into this passage starting in 18 about yeah. what some translations will say, the Antichrist or yeah. anti-Messiahs. Yeah. You know, the people who are anti-Jesus, basically. And he makes it pretty clear... About yeah. about it here, uh, you know. Again, in in those first couple of uh, you know verses there in eighteen and nineteen, sorry, in this passage, he says, "Look, you know, these people left our churches, but they really never belonged with us. Otherwise, yeah. they would have stayed with us. <clears throat> yeah. And when they left, it proved that they didn't belong to us in the first place." Again, it's polarizing. Oh man, you, you're, you're you're either in or you're out. Yeah. And and I mean, it's interesting to note the. A reference here to anti to the Antichrist, mm. uh, and this uh, this of course um, uh, it it may be you know one of the questions around this is has John already had his vision uh, ah. in Revelation? Yes, um, and and it may well be that that he has, uh, and and so he's very conscious of the fact that part of him saying don't love the world mm. because the world is going to come under the control of. The beast okay. as the antichrist. Yes, you know, who's uh, going to for- force everyone to receive the mark of the beast yeah, and not yeah, be able yeah, to buy yeah, or yeah. sell without the mark and all of this. It's like so. So don't get don't get too connected with the world. Just be, be that that step disconnected because, um, as he says here, because the antichrist is coming, and he bridges that. Then bridges into this statement where he says, "Even now, many antichrists have come." Mm. So. He, he, he's going to go so far as to say that these false teachers are actually working in the spirit of the Antichrist. 
they 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 are a part of this corrosive effect because the interesting I mean Paul when he talks about the Antichrist in Thessalonians his letter to Thessalonians he says that the Antichrist came out from among us you know it's like he uh, so so there, there's possibly this sense and depending it also talks about antichrist setting himself up in the temple of god and mm. some people have interpreted that as being in because the church ultimately is the new covenant temple uh so probably the best way to uh i personally think the best way to understand that is that he's actually the antichrist is going to emerge from the church mm. okay they're going to come out from the church right yeah. so i think th- this is you know what john is talking about they came out from us but they do not belong to us, and, he's, and, and he labels them as antichrists. Wow. And it's interesting that the other teachings in the New Testament, notably Paul's teaching, teachings, underscores the fact that also that he came out from the church, mm. um, that, that, or he will, we're talking future still, yes. uh, that he will come out from uh, the church. So um, listen. Don't be spooked by this idea yeah, you're yeah. listening uh, to this sort of stuff because, um, I mean, this is where Revelation, the book of Revelation, is important because it's uh, helping us to see that Christians will be triumphant through all of this. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be easy. No. So batten down the hatches and get a strong grip on Jesus mm. because it's going to be a tough time. Um and I, and I love I love it to, to build on that idea of the Antichrist or the anti-Messiah yep. concept here. John defines it for us there in in that pa- in the passage here that we're looking around. You know, verse 20, 21, 22. Yep. He's saying, you know, let me let me give you a definition. Basically, he says like, here's the definition. Yeah. If you do not, you know, <clears throat> say that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah. Yeah. If you don't have Jesus and the Father, if you were trying to, you know, separate them out yeah. or just saying I'm having Father, Jesus, you know, all these type of things, boom, it's a package together. Yeah. You affirm that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's God, the Father in one. That's right. That's your test. Yeah, that's right. If 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 they're, if they're dodgy yeah. on that, they're yeah. out. They never were really one of us. Yeah. He makes it really, really clear. And he, and he makes it so, and this is the beautiful part yeah. of him so, calling himself the elder, yeah. you know, type of thing. I'm writing to you guys because I'm warning you. I'm warning you this is going to happen. You need to be ready. Yeah. Warning you, warning you. you That's know? right. So in chapter four, he talks about testing the spirits. Yes. Uh, and uh, and he says, well, this is how you know, this is how you can uh, recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh uh, is from God, mm. so you see he's dealing with this um, this erroneous way of thinking that kind of is this blend of kind of Greek, like giving way too much credence to mm. these Greek philosophical ideas. Um, he, uh, you know, he's he's calling for discernment here. I mean, it's interesting because we can think that testing the spirits is some mystical kind of some mystical yeah. idea whereas he's saying no it's actually pretty straightforward like yeah. listen to what they say yes and if what they say is untrue hmm. it's like i'm telling you what's true <laughs> if they if what they say is different to what i have written down mm. here mm. then they are the antichrist yeah and it's often the same or thing they are a antichrist yeah yeah say. yeah they, they yeah they're exactly they're living in that role there the you know and it's and it's one of those common factors you look at stuff that we believe that is heresy out of the church people that have broken away or formed other churches other religions or things like that underneath the banner of you know 
a, a Christendom type of thing. And quite often, the thing that you come down to is, yeah. and what I learned very at a very early age, yeah. um, I was just talking to someone about this the other day, we were reminiscing about our experiences um, preaching on the street or yeah. sharing the gospel to people on the street. And I spent years doing that, you know, on my home home turf of the Gold Coast as a, as a you know, passionate young man, you yeah. know, 19-year-old. One question when people would come to you and go, oh, yeah, 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 I know all about it. I would, I learned very quickly to say, tell me who you think Jesus is. Yeah. Tell me about Jesus. Yeah. And straight away, they were either on point yeah. or they were had a radical theory about Jesus yeah. and i was like you're a, you're an apostate you're a, you know you you i need to you know i need to give you the gospel because you've got this unclear yeah. and i think that's what john is sort of saying here it's all this comes is why, to him. this is actually why in the in the early church they they took this so seriously and drew such strong lines um, around around the nature of christ around the deity of christ around it so you know, for, you know, at least two or three hundred years, these um, church councils spent so much effort on saying only what the New Testament writers said about Christ and no more, because you know there was <clears throat> this tendency to try to rationalise it or to make it sound good in philosophical terms, take away the the paradox maybe the offensiveness to maybe a greek philosophical mindset uh, th there was so much pressure to reshape who jesus is for general consumption and so so many of those early councils were about kind of putting boundaries and and clarity around who Jesus actually is like it's really really important mm. that we understand who Jesus is and not stray from that and that that seems really pedantic you know um historians are often feeling like they need to apologize for the <laughs> seeming pedanticness of of the these in these early conversations but this is where this comes from because it's it was felt that it's really important that we get this right that we have a clear make a clear statement about who Jesus is and something that preserves the mystery. It's not it's, it wasn't an attempt to explain every aspect mm. of that. It was just an attempt to say no, he is fully God, he is fully man. He came in the flesh, he suffered and died, ascended into heaven, he's at the right hand of God the Father. Uh this th these ideas are absolutely central to our faith. What you think about Jesus is the determining factor. Jesus is the absolute center of our faith. Beautiful closing words from Matthew. As per usual, Jesus Christ, the absolute center of our faith. He is the very substance of why we are doing what we're doing. Now, thank you so much to everybody that gets in touch with us every week. You can do that over at thrivetoday.net.au. I'm very excited because we are in the process of revamping the website. If you've ever visited it, well, maybe now there's time to visit it because 
it'll be the time you're able to say, I remember when it used to look like the old website, but very soon we're getting a revamped thrivetoday.net.au. You'll still be able to contact us. You'll still be able to take us up on all the fantastic offers we have over there. I really want you to consider and pray sponsoring a prison subscription, going into men's and women's prisons for both men and young adults as well, and even teenagers are able to get a hold of these issues of Thrive. So head over to thrivetoday.net.au and we'd love to hear from you there. Well, until next week, on behalf of myself, Matthew, and the team behind Thrive Deeper, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ would love to hear your questions and comments about what you are reading in God's Word and in Thrive. The easiest way to do that is to head over to thrivetoday.net.au. Thrive Deeper is on Facebook. Just search and like Thrive Today page for all our latest news. Until next week, our prayer is that this podcast will inspire you to read God's Word and thrive.